We want to welcome you watching online as well, and also the graduates uh, in the room. It's graduation weekend uh, for U of O, and uh, it's kind of a bittersweet weekend. There were some students uh, here this morning with their families and stuff, and uh, it's sad, but we're excited for you. Uh, so the last couple weeks, we've been in this section. This is week three, really, of the section in First Peter. And, and what we've been trying to honestly reclaim is a word that we've seen used and abused in our culture. Uh, we've seen it used as a baseball bat, essentially, uh, and in particular in Christian circles, to the point where, as I even read some of these verses, some of you are going to be tempted to go, I don't want to hear that. Um, and, and you're going to be tempted to take it uh, and then frame it with our culture or with something you've seen or heard from someone specifically. I want to I want to challenge you not to do that and then to wait till we've unpacked all of the verses uh, before you come away with your understanding uh, as it relates to, once again, just a difficult uh, topic and, and submission even of itself, submission or subjection, it may say in your translation. When you read that, uh, I think I speak on behalf of all of us when I go, part of me just goes, ugh. Right? Because of that term in and of itself. And so part of our purpose is to redefine and reclaim a term that God has used to define uh, relationships and even society as a whole and how we're to respond and act. And his definition is not uh, how we've defined it and lived it out. And so I, I hope that we can um, help uh, our understanding with that further today, but but let's just talk about this. We're gonna um, we're gonna address this topic of of women essentially. And when we go down this topic, one of the things that's so important to understand is the context, right? Because typically, what we do is we read the Bible, we don't take the context uh, into what we're me into what we're um, reading, and so we just take it for what it is. And we either receive it like it's that or we tell other people that way when there's an important context to this. So uh, in the first century, uh, Greco-Roman culture, women at this time received little to, to no respect. In fact, as long as they lived in their father's house, they were subject to the Roman law of what they called the father's power. This gave the father's uh, power, uh, literally life and death authority over their children. Some of you kids are like, no, my dad still lives by that. No, not like that. Okay, they will be arrested. But husbands during this time had a similar kind of legal authority over their wives. And so society as a whole during this time, as Peter is writing this letter to Jesus followers scattered all throughout the known world, all throughout the Roman Empire, once again, they're wrestling with how do I um, live in the face of opposition and live knowing that how I'm being called to live is different than the rest of culture. And, and so who he's addressing here is these women who um, were receiving God's word. And they were they're like, how do I, how do I respond? How do I respond uh, within this uh, context, especially when they were literally looked at, upon as, as servants, as those who were to stay home, to, to obey, obey their husbands. And so that's like the cultural opposition here. What you will see throughout Scripture, and I want you to really hear me on this before we go into these verses, the Bible teaches a different narrative when it comes to women. 
Okay, a different narrative than, than, than this message that you just heard right there uh, that, that was going on in culture. In fact, uh, the Bible teaches that Christian women are spiritually equal to men. Okay, in Galatians chapter three, verses 27 and 28, it says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, listen, all of these, these labels, all of these views of who's better than who, that goes out the window. Under God, you are spiritually all equal. In fact, in Romans 2.12, it says how God is impartial. He shows no partiality. So that's really important for you to understand. In, in, in particular, you ladies that are here that are listening to this. And when Jesus came onto the scene, you need to know that culturally, he turned this whole view of women upside down. Not only did he invite women into his ministry, many of them funded his ministry, they were good friends of his, he went out of his way to communicate, to talk to them, even when people would criticize him for that. And then you see throughout scripture, uh, the same thing. You see uh, women being elevated. You see uh, women prophets. You see women leaders. You see all of these things being done through these incredible godly uh, women. And so you need to understand that that is how scripture paints that. Now, if you're a woman and, and, and you're receiving this letter and it's being read at your church and you are a Jesus follower now, You've given your life to him and you've gone all in, but your spouse hasn't. Maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he wants nothing to do with it. What do you do? What do you do? And at that time, they didn't know. So, so what does it look like to live this faith out when I have an unbelieving spouse? And so Peter is writing this to them to help them navigate through a difficult situation that they were going through. And some of you are going through that right now. Some of you have gone through that in your life. And, and this is really important for us to hear. And the first thing I wanna say is this. Paul wrote about this as well. And one of the things he says is that the believing wife, if she can, if the unbelieving uh, spouse will agree to it, should try to maintain the marriage. Okay, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 13, it says, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. In fact, it says in verse 14 there, the first part says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. Uh, in other words, um, if, if he's willing to, she should try to maintain the marriage and by her influence, by her spiritual godly influence, he is going to be blessed by that. It's going to bless the home. Okay, so, so he, he, Paul speaks to this before Peter writes this, but I want to be very clear this morning as well. This is not talking about a dating relationship. Please, please. All eyes on me on this one. Okay? He is not talking about dating. Okay, this does not negate the calling, if I'm a Jesus follower, to marry another Jesus follower, right? In fact, later in, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Okay, so, so you need to understand that, that what is being communicated here does not negate the clear command that if I'm a Jesus follower, I should marry another Jesus follower. I'm called to do that. Now, if you're dating, why in the world would you think it's okay to date a non-Jesus follower when you date for the purpose of marrying? Does that make sense? And, and, and I want to challenge you, if you're dating, this is so critical, this is so important that you understand now God's design for this, uh, and, it, and it's so much bigger than, oh, they said they're a Christian. You know what? Most, probably statistically, it's, it's, it's closer to half now. Most people, though, generally, would say, oh, I'm a Christian. If, so if they say they're a Christian, to me, that means, honestly, very little anymore. The question is, are they following Jesus? The question is, are they following Jesus? And were they following Jesus before they met you? Okay? That's all I'm going to talk about dating. I promise. I could go all day on this, but I'm not going to, for your sake and the script, the text. All right. Let's go into 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Okay, now, Peter, first and foremost here, remember he starts with saying likewise. So he's alluding to the previous examples that he's talked about uh, of submission or subjection, right? Citizens to uh, those in civil authority and servants to masters, like it was talked about last week. And just to remind us, this word subjection that we see there, it's, a, it's translated from a military term that means to place under rank, okay? So this is what's so important about our understanding here is God has a place for everything. He has a way of doing things that he created for society to flourish, for it to uh, thrive, and for it to be uh, organized, Okay, and, and for society to work as he has desired it to work, uh, there has to be designated leadership roles. Okay, so he's done that all throughout society, right? Uh, we see it in all these different groups, even in the church. And, and, and so he's established when it comes to the home, he's established that the husband, he says, is the head of the home and that as the husband submits himself to Christ, first and foremost, his wife should then submit or place herself under that authority. Now, he's speaking to their particular marriage. He's not speaking here and generalizing and saying all women, no matter who the, the guy is, they should just submit to him. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the family unit here, specifically within the context of a specific marriage. Um, and Paul spoke uh, specifically to marriage as well and the submission component uh, that we see alluded to here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Uh, Paul wrote, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, now once again, hang with me. 
Okay? Now, he says what? To submit for these wives, submit as unto the Lord. Now, once again, it's not about the husband here. Just as when we talked about the other roles of authority in our lives that we're going to be called to place ourselves under, it, our mindset, our view as a Jesus follower should be as unto the Lord. So when I do things his way, it's not about somebody else. It always needs to be about him and for him. Okay, so that's the first view. Okay, so uh, we see that um, the wife here is illustrated as a picture of the church and the husband is a picture of Christ. Okay, that's, that's the picture that um, is, is supposed to be um, portrayed in our marriage. Now, let's talk about subjection here. Subjection or submission. This does not mean that the wife is inferior to the husband. Now, we've heard that narrative. Maybe you've heard that from somebody. That is not what it means here. It's just like uh, when you think of like a commanding officer uh, over a unit, they're not necessarily superior to uh, the troops that are under them in their character, are they? In fact, sometimes they have worse character uh, than them. Uh, but when you look at the authority that that commanding officer has, that commanding authority is vital for what? That unit to um, properly function and to be effective, right? So there needs to be that person, you guys, we see the same thing when it comes to um, coaches, right? Uh, there's, there's coaches that, that we place ourselves under, uh, and uh, not anymore, obviously, I'm too old, but there was a time, and I would place myself under the coach. And, and you, guess what? I had some coaches whose character was awful, awful, that didn't negate, though, my role there. Okay, um, and, 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 and some of you have a boss that you work for and you're not uh, placing yourself under his leadership or her leadership because their character is incredible, are you? A lot of times it's in spite of it that you work, that, that, that you try to honor the title and, and, and you have to think as unto the Lord, don't you? Because the person isn't so appealing. And, and, and so all of this uh, is important for us to remember that, that it's also much bigger than just the family unit. And the headship that he's talking about here, headship is not dictatorship. Just say amen. amen. Thank you. Glad that was unprompted. Um, when he talks about headship, this is not, this husband has the right to come home and go, where is my meal? Where is this? Where is that? Why didn't you, right? And you, and you go, huh, no, I've seen that. It's not dictatorship, right? It, 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 it's not coming home and being like, you exist to serve me. <laughs> Just wait till verse seven. Um, in fact, in verse seven, Peter makes it clear that the husband and wife are heirs together. See, you guys, man and woman are made by the same creator, both made in the image of God. And what we see is God gave dominion over the earth to both Adam and Eve. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, 28, it says, and God blessed them. And God said to 
them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so, so they both had that dominion uh, over the earth. And as we already saw in Galatians 3, 28, uh, that, that we are now one in Christ, right? Uh, a Christian couple, they are now one in Christ. So when we look at how God's designed this, how God defines submission and subjection, there's, there's nothing degrading about it. Okay, it, 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 it's, it's, it's literally, and there's nothing wrong with submitting to uh, an authority or the order in which God has uh, created or designed something to uh, flourish in. And, and we look at not just this top-down model, right? Jesus himself submitted himself unto the authority of the Father. Over and over again in Jesus' ministry, what does he say? I'm submitting myself to the authority of the Father. I'm being led by the Father. Now, Jesus isn't less than the Father, is he? No. And so that's really important for us to understand that even Jesus modeled this. And Ephesians 5.21, it makes it very clear that this is a part of all of our lives as Jesus followers. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is this this whole submission topic. It's, it's even bigger than your marriage. It's a calling for all Jesus followers to be able to submit first and foremost to who? To Christ. And out of that submission to Christ, then we treat each other differently. That then guides how we respond to each other. You guys, God uses submission. Uh, and as I was studying this, man, it was so clear. God uses submission. Uh, in a way to literally influence our whole culture. And he knew by creating this whole submission, this way of, of doing life, that it was gonna go against what culture would say is important, right? Because uh, submission, we don't like it. We don't like the term. We don't like how it sounds because culture says this, why should I follow them? Culture says, who are you? You have to earn the right for me to place myself under you, right? That's how we think. And yet God says, there's a totally different way of doing things that I'm gonna call you guys to live with. And through living this way, you're gonna model a different way because guess what? Culture's way of doing things is not gonna work out. It's going to collapse and they're gonna get to the point where they go, well, how should we do this? And they're gonna look at these Christians living in submission going, Man, that's weird. Their marriages seem to be working. They seem to be at peace here. They seem to love each other. Well, that's weird. And so God has a purpose even in this word that we have taken and distorted. You guys, when, when he speaks here and he says, and, and he literally says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives what he's saying here is not that they're, they're not going to hear the word of God here, that they don't need to hear the word of God. That's not what he's saying. What, what he's alluding to here is it means that they can be one without their spouse talking to them repeatedly and over and over and over again. We might say preaching to their spouse. 
Christian wives, honestly, who preach at their spouses continually, and listen, it's not just preaching at them anymore. It's, it's doing what? Forwarding them podcasts. It's like, <laughs> it's nonstop verses being projected at them. Hey, you need to hear this. Hey, I thought of you. Like, but like over and over and over again. You guys, what he's saying here is that it is going to be in the character and conduct of these wives. That is what's going to reach their lost husband. It's not going to be in their ability to out, you know, outdo them in an argument. It's going to be how they respond to that husband who doesn't know God. It's going to be how they have this purity, this respect towards uh, this husband and, and how they act there is what he's saying is going to be the best evangelistic tool they'll have in reaching that unsaved spouse. You guys, uh, one of the cool things that I have seen over and over again, because I mean, there's, there's a lot of you probably in this room um, or watching online and, and, and I've met some of you where one of you received Jesus and you're married before the other one did. And one of the most powerful things to see, because in a marriage, uh, you know that person. And if you both weren't following Jesus, you know who they were before Jesus, don't you? In fact, some of you still give each other a hard time for who they were before Jesus. And, but one of the most powerful testimonies, and I've heard this story over and over again, is an unbelieving spouse watch the change in their spouse who placed their hope and faith and trust in Jesus. That process is called sanctification, the process of becoming more like God. And what Peter is saying is, as you go into that process and live this out, that is going to be the most powerful tool in reaching your unsaved husband. And so you focus on that. You ask yourself, how does my character, my heart align with this message? And it continues with this theme in verses three through six. It says this. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, now, when you look at the beginning here, he, he starts talking about um, what you're putting on, right? These external features. He talks about uh, the braiding of your hair, the jewelry, uh, the, the, the nice clothing uh, that you wear. And, and here, let's be really clear with this. He's not saying that you shouldn't do that, Okay. He's not saying, wives, that you shouldn't get your hair done. Now, there are limits. <laughs> my wife, she's done hair for, I don't know, 20-some years, and she's told me some of the things. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well, that may be wrong. Um, I'm like, wow, how much did that cost? <sighs> keep doing it, honey. Way to go. Uh, <laughs> so just keep getting your hair done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's not speaking against that, okay? He's not speaking against wearing jewelry, okay? So we've got to sit here and 
right? He's not saying that. Okay, he's not saying you can't wear nice clothes. Have nice clothes. Wear them. That's great. He's also, though, on the flip side, not making the case that you don't have to care at all. Right? All right, honey, we're going out. Okay, whatever. You heard scripture. It doesn't matter what I wear or how I look, you know? So he's not, he's not, let's not jump to extremes here, which we do a lot. Like, let's not go to extremes. What he's saying here is that their area of focus shouldn't be on the external appearance. Their area of focus, what they prioritize, what their heart and their minds are consumed by should not be their hair, their clothing, their jewelry, right? He's once again going, if you want to have an effective ministry, if you want to reach this husband that doesn't know Jesus, you're not going to win him over by you just looking ridiculous, okay? In fact, that is one story I have honestly never heard where someone comes up to me and they go, honestly, my spouse is just so gorgeous. I just thought I need Jesus. <laughs> that hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened, right? But he's saying, when you focus on your heart, and guys, in this culture, these Roman women were nuts. They were obsessed with current cultural uh, fashion trends, and, and they were consumed by it, not because they just love to look nice, is they used it as comparison. They judged each other. They looked down on each other, and they would, uh, when they would put together their outfits, they would do that just so certain people would see them. Now, I know you never do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I hope so-and-so's there. But they were obsessed with this. And so this is the culture. And Peter's like, hey, your focus needs to be different. Your focus should be different. Do what you, do what you need to do. Look good, whatever. But your focus needs to be on the inner heart, on what lasts. The world's beauty, it decays, it fades. It doesn't stand the test of time. What's gonna stand the test of time, what's gonna really impact for all eternity is your heart, your holiness, your character, the inner, what's going on inside of you. That's what lasts, and that at the end of the day is the very thing that beautifies over time, right? It's not, it's not something that you can just put on and take off. That's the inner character of who you are. It's, it's in your heart. And so Peter is challenging them. He's like, that's where you're focused. That's where your heart needs to be. He even says this gentle and this silent spirit, this, this humble attitude, this meekness, uh, th this attitude that is just content in who you are in Christ. That is what's precious, it says, in the sight of God. That's what's precious. And he says, this is how, he uses this example, he says, this is how the holy women the old, in the Old Testament days, this is how they adorned themselves. This was their value system. And he specifically uses how Sarah responded to her husband Abraham uh, in the Old Testament as an illustration. Um, and, 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 and so he's looking back, and, and just as when people come to faith and they place their faith and hope and trust in Jesus, they're considered to be sons of Abraham, uh, he's saying, listen, when you live in this way, when you honor God, when you honor your husband in this way and do things God's way in this and focus on the heart and, and, and you're respectful and honorable and all those things, you are behaving like a daughter of Sarah. Now, you guys, if you study Abraham's life, was Abraham perfect? <laughs> no, he's a mess. 
Was Sarah perfect? No. Not at all. But at the end of the day, she was able to support Abraham, knowing the calling on his life and the leadership that God was bringing into their lives. And guess what? She didn't always know the full story, did she? Just like Abraham did. But she was faithful to his side. And and so he's encouraging them by looking back at that. And as as they look at the impact that they can make on their unsaved husband, Part of that, you guys, was, was fear. There was fear there for them. Why? Because of the authority structure that was in place culturally, right? I mean, you got to think like, like for her to step out of potentially another religion by herself and say, honey, I'm going to go all in with Jesus, what they called the way in that time. I'm, I'm going I'm to respond to the gospel. You guys, she was opening herself up for all kinds of potential abuse and everything else. And, 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 and this was going to be tough, like, like to navigate. And so, so Peter's writing this and he's like, listen, you don't have to be afraid because God is with you. That's why he says you don't have to fear. God is with you. God is going to, he's going to protect you. You're not alone. And some of you in your marriages have felt so alone. You felt alone. You felt abandoned. Uh, you felt like you're the only one trying to will your family on. And I want to encourage you. God sees you. He loves you. He is going to bless your family through your faithfulness. And you may not see it now. Uh, you may not see it in a couple of years, but it will happen. And God will use you to open doors to the gospel for your family. Stay strong. But this also, I want to be very clear. This also, uh, there is a line here. Okay, this is, this is not meaning that, hey, if you're being abused in some way, that you just take it. Okay, no, if you're, getting, if you're being abused in some way, you, you get help, you get out of that, you get yourself safe. He's not saying that you should just not care about that um, and that, oh, God sees me as I'm being abused. No, there, there are steps you need to take to protect yourself and your family. And the line is also here, you are not to follow his leadership or to be under that when he is asking you to disobey God's clear commands on your life. So there are limits here. There's clear lines. But let's get to verse seven. Likewise, husbands, finally, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, so he continues in this subjection, this submission uh, theme, and he says, likewise, likewise, husbands. See, husbands, he says, are to do what? How is their subjection? How How is that to look in their lives? He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's the first thing he says. Now, uh, to live with your wife in an understanding way, uh, the word translated to live, it means dwelling together, and it refers to living with someone in intimacy and cherishing them, okay? Uh, so it means much more than sharing the same address, okay? Uh, you guys, marriage in and of itself to its core is a fundamentally, it's a physical relationship, 
Okay? Um, in fact, in Ephesians 5, 31, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, so, so, so marriage in and of itself, there is a, a dwelling together. There's an intimacy. There's a oneness uh, that comes together physically. And so the husband is, is, is called to make time to be home with his wife. Husbands in the room, you are called to make time for your wife. You're called to make time to be home for your wife. The stats on, a, on the lack of, of time in marriages is staggering, it's awful, and, and, and it's diluted because we count watching uh, things together as quality time together. When you're not engaging, you're looking at a screen, right? And, and, and so even togetherness, you guys, we have to guard what that means and what it meant back then. It didn't just mean, oh, we're sitting side by side. It didn't just mean, oh, we're at the dinner table, uh, all these things. Like, it, it went beyond that. And you guys... There's a huge danger that I see across the board within marriage after you have kids. And that is not to say that kids are not an incredible blessing. They are. But the danger to our marriage that kids presents, and it usually catches all of us off guard, including myself, is everything then becomes what? About the kids. And if you're not intentional about your marriage, you guys will become great roommates, great teammates, great partners who can get along to support the kids. But ultimately, it's not displaying this oneness, this love that the Bible calls us to love each other with. Now, if you say, oh, we call each other teammates, that's cute, or we're, whatever. I'm just saying, I didn't want to marry any of my teammates. That's just how it was for me. I'm thankful for them. They were great teammates. And when I go to work, I want to work with great teammates. I just don't want to marry any of them. Okay? And, and, and so that, that's funny. And like I said, if you call your, your spouse a teammate, good for you. But... There is a posture in how we view our spouses and it needs to be different. It needs to be different from what we see in scripture. And that's why you guys right now in our culture, and this is at pandemic proportions, is we're seeing marriages fall apart after the kids grow up and leave the home. Why? Because all of a sudden the kids are gone and everything has been about what? The kids. It's been about getting them through, getting them to their activities, making it work, all of that. All of a sudden, though, they're gone. They go to wherever they're going, and, and you look, and all of a sudden, you're staring at a stranger who you're living with, and you don't know them. And we see over and over again right now, people deciding to divorce because of that. You guys, when it talks about Living and then understanding your bride. Understanding means being sensitive to. It means considering the wife's deepest physical, emotional needs. It's determining that I'm really going to know her. 
And, and, and the seasons of life are going to be challenging. Every child is, is a new challenge. Every situation, every conflict, uh, every move, every change in job or occupation for you and your bride. But you have to continually ask, am I determining to really know her? I mean, how many times have we said, and, and we maybe said it jokingly, but it actually represented something deeper. They don't even know me anymore. Do you even know me? A Christian husband needs to know his wife's feelings, her needs, her, her fears, and her hopes and desires. He needs to listen with his heart and share in this meaningful com conversations, this communication. It's got to be different. It's got to be healthy. And, and we're called as believing husbands to, to nourish and cherish our wives. Uh, in fact, in Ephesians 5, uh, 25 through 28, he addresses the, the husbands. He says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. All the women, amen. Did you catch this? Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. He sacrificed his life for the church. And he did that so that he could restore, so he could elevate the church to where we were in a place we weren't before. Guys, this is how husbands are called to lead. We're to lead by our sacrifice, by dying to ourselves for their sake, to love them, it says, as we love ourselves. A believing husband should show honor to his wife. What does it say? It says showing honor to the woman. Well, how do you do that? What is, when you want to honor somebody, what does that look like, right? Even in our, in, in our culture, when you honor someone, what does that mean? What are you doing? You're acknowledging them, right? You're acknowledging them. You're, you're elevating them. You're placing them in this place of respect, right? Whenever you honor anybody, and he says, husbands, that's how you're to treat your wife. And so Christian husbands in this room, how are you, or if you're watching online, how are you elevating? How are you acknowledging? How are you uh, respecting your spouse? How are you sacrificially serving your spouse? And when he says, as the weaker vessel, the woman as the weaker vessel, can we just like clarify what that is? Meaning he's not suggesting that the wife is weaker mentally, morally, or spiritually. He's not saying that at all. In fact, if we just went off statistics, the wives are probably ahead of us in all of those. And on top of it, they can multitask. So there you go. 
what he's alluding to here is he's saying, generally speaking, women possess less physical strength than men, generally speaking. And I want to emphasize generally. Amen. I took my boys to the NCAA track meets on Thursday, and uh, I, believe, I believe it was the shot put, the women's shot put. And I think, I may be wrong, but, but she set a new NCAA record. And, and it was incredible. And, and, and she comes, and, and we had really good seats. We're right there off the track, supporting some of our track athletes here. And, and, and she runs by, and my boys, their eyeballs, and I go, uh-huh. She snapped you, boy. <laughs> and they were, I mean, whoo. So generally, all right? Generally, I want to be really clear. He says, honor them. Why though? Since they are heirs with you. They're heirs with you. Are we catching these words here? They are a fellow heir uh, sharing in the grace of life. And the grace of life here is the gift of marriage. And Peter labels marriage the grace of life because you guys, uh, when marriage is done in God's way, it is literally the, the utmost experience of just grace. It is unmerited, undeserved favor. Amen? It, it, like, when your marriage is God's way by God's design, I just, I, I sit there and I go, God, only you could do this because I know what I bring to the table. And it's not a lot. And it's a lot of dysfunction. So you're clearly working. And, and so that's how he labels this marriage. And so in the cultural context here, you guys, he is turning upside down the view of marriage because companionship, friendship within a marriage that was a foreign concept in the Greco-Roman culture of the time. Husbands were generally uninterested in friendship with their wives, expecting them to just maintain and to do these tasks. And yet we see, in contrast, the Christian husband is to cultivate all the richness that God designed for marriage by honoring his wife. So that why? Why? Oh, don't miss the last part here. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Is that in there? Are you sure? Mm -hmm. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Are we hearing this? Do you think this is important to God? Ladies, do you think you're important to God? In your marriage, you are so important to God that he says, if your husband is not treating you like this, I'm not listening. Guys, what you need to hear and understand, if you're not treating your wife how God's asked us to treat our wives, it is hurting our relationship with God. You cannot detach the two. You can't. He's literally saying, if you're not gonna treat her like this, don't expect the relationship to be all chipper with me. I'm not gonna listen. I've called you to do that. And you guys, when you think of the magnitude of why this is so important, what is marriage a picture of? Marriage is designed to be a picture of Christ in the church. Marriage is designed to be a picture of the gospel. So when people look at your marriage, if you're Jesus followers, they should see the gospel. And so why does he care about this? Because people are coming to know Jesus off your marriage. Your marriage should totally um, turn uh, the rest of the world's marriages upside down and they should be able to go, there's something different there and they're gonna want or need that because uh, guys, culturally, marriage is the, the, the statistics. 
are getting worse and worse. They're, they're not getting better. They're not getting better. And they're a lie in a lot of places too. Why? Because now we're just like, oh, we'll just live together. But you guys, it's, it's getting worse. It's getting more difficult. And so now more than ever, people need a picture of the gospel and they need to see it in our marriages. And so listen, I'm telling you right now, if, if you are a married couple, you gotta ask, how is our marriage a picture of the gospel of Christ and the church? How is it a picture of that restoration, that redemption of Christ sacrificing his life for the church to bring them, to reconcile them to the Father? How is that? If you are in your marriage and you are saved, you're a Jesus follower and your spouse is not, you have this incredible opportunity to be a picture of the gospel to your spouse. So how are you gonna respond in that? And guys, this is so powerful. This is so important. I have seen this. I, it's not just theory. It's not just the words on a page to me. Uh, one of our really good, some of our really good friends back in San Diego where we came from, they... Uh, it was, a, it was a wife who was married to uh, a guy, a very successful businessman, and he, he wanted nothing to do with God. And she would come to my church, and she would come over and over again, faithful in, in like all the ministries, just a prayer warrior and all these things. And, uh, and we had a great relationship, and, and, and she was in our community and all of this. And, and, and it was always the same prayer request, pray for my husband, pray for my husband and all this. And, and, and so we did. And and, and, and so, and then she kept saying, man, if there's just a time for you guys to connect, I think it would, you know, so finally it happened. He and I are going to go golfing together. Now, typically I don't like to go golfing with you because I'm not very good and I'm impatient. And so usually I don't have a very good testimony on the golf course. So I try not to go golfing with other people. Um, but I was like, for him, let's go. So we're going golfing and we're just talking the whole time. And uh, at the very end, we sit down together and, and it's kind of like that moment. I'm like, hey man, where are you at? Like, where are you at with this? You know, you've, you've heard me talk, you, you know, your wife, you, you know, she cares deeply for you and she loves God. Like, what, where are you at? What, what, what is holding you back? And, 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 and he looked at me and said, you know, I, I, I really enjoy what you have to say and I respect it and I love what, you know, I love the message of it. I, love, I, I think Jesus was incredible and I've studied all these religions and, 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 and I think it's great. He goes, but I just cannot get over one thing. He goes, everything you preach about is a peace that surpasses understanding and a hope and a trust in God because he's sovereign. And yet he goes, my wife worries more than any individual I've ever met in my life. And he goes, so I don't know how to reconcile that to the message you're preaching. And I just went, wow, wow, wow. Guys, I think sermons like this, it's really easy to see how flawed we are, isn't it? Right? In fact, when I was preparing for this, you know whose marriage I thought of? Nobody's. Because <laughs> nobody does this. Like, I'm supposed to be Christ for my wife? <laughs> right? So I want to take that, your perfection off the table here. There's a direction though, right? In fact, I mean, as I was studying this, I walked into our room and I, I walked right in there and I said, honey, I'm sorry. 
And she just looked at me and goes, what'd you do? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm preaching on this tomorrow and I got to do better. I got to do better. I am not, I'm not loving you like this. And I have to be better. And I want you to know that. I met with that lady too, whose husband, you know, didn't want to receive Jesus because what he saw, the worriness in his wife. And guess what? She met with me and she went, oh, I know. And we talked about it and she worked on it. And slowly, guess what? The husband started coming to our community group with her. And so you guys, it's easy to go. I've failed. I've, I'm sh- I've, I've, I've failed so often in this. I haven't represented Christ in my marriage and all that. Whether you're the only one trying to honor God or not, you have failed. You've made mistakes. But you guys, God is a God of restoration. He loves you. He's not done with you. He's, he's, he's taking care of you up to this point. He hasn't given up on what he wants to do through your ministry in your marriage. And you may even be divorced and he still wants to use your example of the gospel to reach your divorced spouse, your former spouse. Like God can do absolutely anything. You have to believe that, but it it comes with what am I gonna do? How am I gonna respond to this? And he invites you uh, to, to follow his lead, his example. And he says, I can do an incredible work with your marriage. Amen.